it's a joy to be here with you all this evening. Uh, we had an awesome time first hour, and I'm excited for what God has for us today. Now, I, I am going to start by actually answering my own question that some of you got to engage with while we were doing the whole meet and greet. What was the worst gift that you ever received? Because let's be honest, all of us have received a bad gift here or there. Hopefully it's not a routine experience, and I'm not trying to jinx tomorrow morning, but just the worst gift I ever received, okay? It's one of those where you're, where you're trying to play it off, right? You're trying to do the, oh, thanks. I totally failed at it. Um, so my mom got me, and, and I'm going on a, a limb here because in case someone has this, I don't want you to feel angry with me, but she got me pleated jeans. Has anybody ever seen pleated jeans, right? They're, they're like... They're the bad compromise between jeans and dress pants, okay? It's kind of the, the mullet of the pants world, okay? It's, it's like not formal enough to be great. It's not casual enough to be cool. It was actually just this kind of awkward in between. Uh, and the reality is all of us have gotten some sort of negative gifts. In fact, in this past year, they polled people, and the majority of people who said that they got a gift that they did not like does anyone know what the category was, the number one category where people did not end up liking the gift? Anyone want to take a guess? Clothing. 43% of people who said they got a bad gift, it was clothes, okay? So I'm not trying to stress you out, but if you're a big gift for somebody, tomorrow is clothes, you got a 50-50, okay? That's just statistics. And, you know, when we do this whole thing about gift giving, Right, it's not just a time to, to receive, um, you know, kind of some bonus presents. It, it actually is meant to be something bigger. The whole process of giving gifts is intended actually to reflect that at this time, what we commemorate at Christmas is that God actually gave the single greatest gift that the world ever could have received in Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of what we have received and the goodness, the grace, the peace, hope, love, and joy that that brings, we actually want to share that and give that to others as well. That's kind of the point. That, that's the purpose, if you will. But over here is the, the idea, the, the point, the purpose, and sometimes far over here on the other side is reality. Okay, so here's an ideal world. Maybe you've seen it in a commercial, right? The person goes to the store and there's some sort of a music in the background and they see this perfect gift and they buy it with a smile on their face and they get home and it's Christmas morning and the, the person who receives it is just overjoyed and they hug or there's some sort of car with a giant bow in it, which I know nobody who does that. I don't know who gives a car for Christmas, right? Maybe someone somewhere. That, that could just be false advertising, but... You know, we have this image, and yet what a lot of times it actually is, right, especially if you have little kids, it, it, it's about, like, kids tearing into this, like, wrapping paper. There's a tornado of paper everywhere. They look at something for approximately 30 seconds, and then what do they do, right? Next, 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 because what is unwrapped is always more exciting than what you have in hand, right? And, and so there's this kind of, it's a season where we stop to reflect on this greatest gift that God has given. And yet for a lot of us, the, the hustle and bustle of it all, the, the busyness, the expectations, the wanting to get it right, it can start to pull our attention in a different direction.
direction. You know, when we give gifts, it actually tells us a little bit about the person who gives them. Because here's the deal. What, what makes a gift even special in the first place? Okay, I mean, you could go on Amazon, right, and order whatever it is you want. But a gift, when it's given, actually tells you a little bit of something about the giver, doesn't it? Right, and that's part of what makes it special. The fact that if they did it well, okay, and they didn't get you that piece of clothing that you're going to hate, okay, if they, they do it well, it's a, someone who's listened to you, they know you, they see you as a person, and they go, oh, my gosh, I bet they would love fill in the blank. And so I, I'm going to actually go out, and I'm going to get this thing because, because I know, because I see them, because I care. That is what actually makes a gift something beautiful. It's not even really about the object. It's about the heart that gives it and the relationship present in that, right? You know, when we, we stop to reflect on this idea that the greatest gift ever given to this world is Jesus Christ, it actually tells us something about the character and nature of God. I want to read to you just a, a brief uh, Christmas story. You, you heard it read in our Advent reading from Luke chapter 2. Um, you can feel free to turn there, use the Pew Bible if you want, pull it up on your smartphone as long as you're not going to browse Instagram. Um, go ahead and however you do it, pull it up as we read from Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, I got to tell you, this is just an amazing telling of the Christmas story, and in part why it's such an interesting thing of what Luke actually does with this story is because of how little Luke actually tells us. I mean, we just read seven verses, and do you know that five of those seven verses have nothing to do with the actual birth of Jesus? Right? Five of the seven verses that Luke dedicates to the birth of Jesus Christ is actually just pinpointing time and location. That, that, that's kind of crazy, right? I mean, you know, if there's all these questions that we have about, about how did the birth go? What was it like? Did Mary get an epidural? Is she using a bottle? Like, what was the aftercare situation in this whole thing? So many things that we would think of. What, what about this? And it's silent. Two verses dedicated to the actual birth and the coming of Jesus Christ to this world. It's crazy. And Luke really wants to draw our attention, not even so much to the actual event of birth, but to the place exactly where it is and why. Well, a couple of things in here. First of all, it says this, that... that when if you look in verse 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because 
He was of the house and lineage of David. Here's what's happening, right? Rome says, we want to tax people, okay? I don't care what era of history you live in. Taxes are a constant, okay? Rome says, we want to tax people. So to make sure everything's in order, we need you to go back to your ancestral home, okay? Now, we have people from all over the world here today. And in kind of in a similar way, Joseph and Mary had been in some different locations. They'd been moving around. They actually lived in a town called Nazareth. That's where their home was. But Rome said, we need everybody to go back to their, their ancestral starting point, and we need you to be registered, okay? Because we want to take a census, make sure that we're governing well, and we also want to make sure that you're paying your taxes. So you got to go. So you've got... Joseph and Mary are heading this way, and they're specifically going to Bethlehem. Now, why does that matter? Why does Luke spend so much time to point out Bethlehem? Because what it says is that Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. See, in the Bible, there was this prophecy, right, this foretelling of the future that said that one day there would be one who would come and be a king, like King David in the Old Testament that you might have read about, but, but his kingdom isn't going to end. It's actually going to continue on. And that this, this person, this, this Messiah, will be born in Bethlehem. And so whoever this Messiah is, whoever this Christ is, must be born in Bethlehem. But here's the thing. Mary and Joseph don't live in Bethlehem. They actually live in Nazareth. And so... God orchestrated this, this whole amazing process, right? Caesar Augustus was the one who, who made this census. By the way, did you know 2020 is a census year in the United States? So you'll be getting someone knocking on your door. And Caesar Augustus, his, his name previously was uh, Octavian, okay? This is for anyone here like history? Nobody. Nobody. Okay, well, we've got like two people who like history. Okay. Yeah, everyone's like, I hate history. This is terrible. Now, this is actually really kind of interesting, and, and I want us to, to connect these dots here, right? So there was this guy named Octavian. He was related to Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was murdered, and in his will, he actually said that Octavian was going to be his adopted heir. Now, at the time, there were three main people who were running Rome, okay? There was Octavian as a general leader. Then you also had Mark Antony. Anyone ever heard that name? Okay, of Cleopatra fame, lots of dramatic plays and artistic things and vipers on the arm and all that sort of stuff. All right, th this is the time period we're talking about. And so Octavian, they fight, they war because oligarchies never work. Powerful people don't play well with each other. That's the lesson of history. And all of a sudden, these people whittle away in the dramatic fashion with Cleopatra. And in 27 BC, Octavian is declared by the Senate to be Caesar Augustus. And in fact, he was the one who created the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And do you know how he made the peace of Rome? By controlling the empire, by building roads, by pushing their boundaries, by making all this administrative maneuvers. And so when he comes to power as the first major emperor, what he does is he says, we're going to have to reset, make a new thing. And so I want an accurate count of everybody that lives under the shadow of Rome, which is almost everybody at that point. Now, think about this for a moment, okay? 
Jesus must be born in Bethlehem. And because of a decree of Caesar Augustus that a census should be taken, God divinely ordains everything at the right place, the right time, the right way, so that you've got a very pregnant Mary and you have Joseph who just happened to be in Bethlehem at the time when her water breaks. Now, what's so crazy about this is when you talk about history, when you talk about the rise and fall of nations, of rulers, it, really, it's messy. And it seems like just this power grab and this thing over here and just a mess. And you know what? God was somehow working even in those details to bring this young couple to this town in the middle of nowhere on the exact night so that prophecy is fulfilled and Jesus is born in Bethlehem. You know what that says to me? You know what I think that that says about us actually? Is that God is always at work even when we don't see it. Right, God, even when it seems like there's this, this mess and it's just all this happenstance and people doing these power grabs and at the end of the day, God is actually at work even when we do not see it. And that's not just true about history with a capital H or the world with a capital W. You know what? It's actually true of your life. That in all these ways that, that things have been moved and, and moved around it, that God actually is at work. Do you believe that? Sometimes it's easy to believe it about the big idea, and sometimes it feels maybe a little bit harder when it's our own personal lives. And yet God is at work. He's always at work, and he moves this young couple to be in Bethlehem on the night that her water breaks. She has the baby, and the craziest thing of it all is, where does she end up having the child? In a manger. Literally like an, an animal pin, okay? Now, I want us to hold these things up. And I, and I want us to feel the tension of this for a moment, okay? So God was so in control, so ordaining, so providential, that even the rise and fall of Rome and all of their different things going on, that the census was given at this exact time, God was so in control. And yet she can't even get a room in town. I mean, that, that, that's kind of crazy, right? Mary, the one who was going to have baby Jesus, right? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who is above all, and they can't even get a room? So, so here's what, what you can say, right? You can say, A, God really dropped the ball, okay? He should have planned this out better. He should have read reviews and kind of gone on and made sure to book the room nice and early because you know what? Bethlehem fills up this time of year. It's a popular place, okay? That, that's option A. By the way, that's a bad option, okay? But, but it is an option. Somehow this great grand God that could control even all the political maneuverings of Rome couldn't even book a room, okay? That's option A. Option B is this that actually the work that God does is often unexpected. See, God is always working in history as well as in our lives. And, and, and some of the times we just scratch our heads and go, God, I would have never done it that way. The King of Kings, 
the Lord of Lords, his first throne room is a stable in the middle of nowhere in a place that nobody expected. God has given the greatest gift in Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, what this gift is in this, this very unexpected way that the world did not see coming, okay? That, that God has actually been at work at this whole time. And even when we don't see it, God is doing this plan and program of redemption. See, each of us have something that separates us from God, and that's called sin. Maybe that's something that's like, if sin gets a bad, you know, we don't always like talking about, but sometimes it could be something like, I'm lying, I'm stealing, I've been hate-filled towards somebody. There's the, the bad things to do. But you know what else it is? Actually, sin can also be things where we're finding our identity in things that are outside of God, right? So, so I look at my life and I go, hey, my kids are doing great, so I feel like I'm a good person. I, I, the person next to me makes me feel valuable. Or, you know what? I'm just a game in my work, and so I feel good about my life. And, and anything that we build our lives around other than God is actually called an idol in Scripture. And it separates us from God, right? But God gave the greatest gift in Jesus because God is always at work. And even though it was so unexpected, God came himself. The word Emmanuel means God with us. God came with us so that we could be with him. Because no one can work themselves up to God. No matter how good you do it, you will never be perfect. And no matter how many good things you do, you can never bridge that gap. And so God did it for you by sending Jesus Christ. And that when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his death on the cross, not because of what he did, but because of what we did, to pay that price and penalty for our death, for our sin, that he died and that he rose again, would we put our faith in Jesus Christ to make us right with God, then we experience the most profound grace ever given to this world. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave this gift of Jesus, the greatest gift. We're going to continue our service with, with the candle um, lighting. And I want to help you kind of grasp some of the imagery of this here. Right, we're going to have, we're, we're um, we're a small group for the second hour. So the way we're going to do it, somebody is going to come up and they're actually going to light the candle from this central white candle here that represents the life and light of Jesus Christ. And what happens in this moment is what we're proclaiming is not just, hey, it's really cool we get to hold a candle and, you know, it looks really pretty, although it does. But what we're actually communicating is that the life and light of Jesus Christ is something that brings light to our own life and our own soul. And it's not just for us. It's actually something that we share with others as well. By the way, public service announcement here so the building doesn't burn down. Take the unlit candle and tip it towards the flame. Don't take the lit candle and tip it. Otherwise, you will coat your friend with a lot of hot wax, okay? Um, but as, as we do this today and we pass it around and as we sing, what we proclaim is that Jesus, the light of the world, has come as the greatest gift of God because God is always at work and even in unexpected ways 
and we wait for his work and we hope in his work and we trust in his work and in his second coming. Amen. Let's continue in worship. <laughs>